Okay, today is Thursday, May the 13th, 2010. I'll give you a little report on our first young people's class yesterday. It seemed to be a real success. There were ten young people that showed up, which is more than I had expected. And there were three of them that said that they would be there, but they couldn't because of uh, things that they had no control over. And I would like to thank the parents who brought them, and they will never regret that decision. And I've changed my policy. It wasn't a hard and fast policy anyway. I said I wasn't going to let parents stay in here, but I'm going to uh, change that. If parents want to come and if they sit back in the back, that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. I'll probably learn something also. Or they can go back in the back and have coffee or whatever they want to do. I had at least one parent, maybe two, that was out in the parking lot the whole time, and I had no idea. If I'd have known that, I would have told them to come in. But um, Anyhow, I, my hat's off to the parents that brought the young people. Uh, there were times that I would have eight hands up all at the same time. So uh, anyhow, we'll just see if that continues to be supported. We'll just keep on teaching. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have to feed upon your word to revel in your great revelations to us about who you are and what you've done, what you expect, all the potentials that we have because of your grace. We pray that you will help us to focus our attention upon your mighty word this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 2 and verse Okay, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. This is what we ended on Tuesday night. I didn't want to just press on without at least uh, giving another look at it because this is probably one of the highest expressions that a person could give another person of their love and devotion. Uh, this is Paul. He has 
been probably more affectionate to this church, the third church at Thessalonica, uh, more than he has the others. <clears throat> and we've looked at how there is a, a bond and esprit de corps, a closeness among believers who are positive and growing in God's Word, but that also is probably double between the communicator of the Word and those that he's teaching. And this comes out in what Paul is teaching in First Thessalonians here, his, his great um, desire to be with his flock face to face. And he wasn't able to do it. But he was telling them that even though he was torn from them, he had to leave just to uh, preserve his life, it appeared. And he had been gone for a time. And his great desire was to see them face to face again. And that's what he is expressing. And now, as we come to verse 19, this is the crescendo. This is the ultimate that someone could give as far as affection towards another believer. He says, For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? So we have here the hope, which would be the confidence. He was very confident because uh, these believers are the ones that got it. They, Even though Paul wasn't there a long time, he, he, his efforts bore much fruit in that area. And he says that they were his confidence and joy. Confidence is linked into, as we see in the context of this verse, a personal sense of destiny. The confidence has more of a futuristic aspect to it, as does our personal sense of destiny. And when he says, you are our joy, that ties it into not only the joy that he anticipates having with them when he sees them face to face, whether that was going to be on earth or whether it was going to be in heaven, whether it was going to be when Jesus Christ returns and they would be with him, Whatever it was, he was anticipating that joy, but he also carried joy around in his own soul for having known them. And he can, he, no matter what was going on in his life, he could think back on the great times that he shared with these believers and it gave him pleasure. It was joyous to him. And then he says, even his crown, he considered them his crown. We went over this in detail about it being the Stephanos wreath. It has to do with uh, a reward. Uh, this is not to be taken that because you evangelize, because you witness to someone and they accept it, that you're going to get a crown. That's not what's stated here. Now, whether that is true or not, I'm not, I'm not sure. But what he's saying is that they were his reward. They were what he would aspire to as far as having something that would be great in his life. He already had it. And then he says, Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? And I ask you, if you'll remember, in that last phrase especially, it's, it brings up a doctrine a very foundational, important doctrine. And that would be the doctrine of eternal security. 
There was no doubt that they were going to be with the Lord when He returns, because He says, in the presence of our Lord at His coming. It's put in question form, but it is a, it's really to be considered as a statement of fact. They will be there, which means it doesn't matter what would happen from the time that He's writing this letter to the time that the rapture would occur. In other words, if the, if the Lord returned during their lifetime... Paul never has a doubt, not the slightest inkling that they were not going to be there. Because it didn't matter what they did. Because they had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and their eternal destiny was sealed. So as ours. We're going to be with Jesus Christ when He returns. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that is another aspect of this. And it also highlights the fact that they were anticipating this. I think this is something that has kind of fallen between the cracks for a lot of Christians. Maybe these days people are are more in tune as to anticipating the rapture. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we are to be looking forward to it. There are those who, who have said, well, the rapture could occur, occur a thousand years from now. Well, I guess that would be hypothetically possible. But if you have that mindset, it can't be any, it, it can't be an inspiration to you. It can't be a motivation in your life if you don't think that the Lord is going to return in your lifetime. But if you thought that the Lord was going to return day after tomorrow... Don't you think that would have a little bit of spark in your spiritual life? So there's a lot in that verse, but it is the highest expression that he could have possibly given them of his affection for them. Now, we've gone through all that, so we're going to go down now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Long sentence here. He starts out with therefore. Every time you see therefore, you think, what is it therefore? Well, it's tying us into what was just previously said. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Let's take the first phrase. Therefore, when he could endure it no longer, the pressure was building to the breaking point, but not because of loneliness or sentimentality, but because they had received rumors of trouble in Thessalonica. They had to find out what was going on there in order to help. It's not that Paul was not lonely with regards to them. He did yearn to see them. But that's not why it got to the breaking point. He had to find out what was going on because he heard rumors. There was trouble in Thessalonica. Now, if you had set up a church there and you were very close to these people and you were forced to leave them, and then you started hearing rumors they were in trouble, He didn't know exactly what it was all about, but 
he did hear rumors. And so what would your inclination be? You wanted to find out. But he couldn't pick up a phone. He couldn't get on the Internet. He couldn't catch a jet, go down and see what's going on. The only way that he had a way of communicating with him was to send one of his companions. And as we see, it was Timothy was selected. So it was very important for him to find out what was going on. And then it says, we, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Notice, we thought it best. Paul made this decision. Uh, this is not right. I should have put it in here. Paul did not make this decision alone. I forgot a little word, three-letter word there. <laughs> not. That was to be my emphasis, and I didn't put it in. Yes, I think I can put it in now. Let's see. Let's see if I can do this. Not. Okay. Okay, yeah, when I close, I'll, keep, I'll hit save. Okay. <laughs> Paul did not make this decision alone. That's more better. It's a good idea to include other mature believers when an important decision has to be made. This meeting included Paul, Luke, Timothy, and probably Silas. So you've heard the expression, two heads are better than one. And whenever there is a, a decision to be made, then uh, the, those who can be trusted and that have the responsibility and the authorities to certainly uh, be in on that. That's why we have deacons. That's why we have deacon meetings. is because the deacons take care of the administration of this church. And it's a, it's a big relief off of me that I don't have to uh, be concerned about the nuts and bolts issues that have to be taken care of. But they do have to be taken care of. Somebody has to see that the light bill is paid and that the grounds are kept and all the hundreds of other things that it takes in order for us to be able to come here, sit in a comfortable chair in air conditioning, and not be distracted by all the other things that could distract us because we have people who are doing their job. Also, sometimes I go into the deacons' meeting because we have certain uh, things that we have to discuss. We have a powwow, put all the heads together, and we come up with a, a decision. Paul knew that. Paul was... Uh, far and above the uh, senior apostle, and yet he recognized that it was important to uh, have a conference, if you will, and find out uh, what the best action to take. These men truly loved their brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, devised a plan to help them, and then carried through with it. Love isn't just some warm, fuzzy feeling. It is self-sacrificing and doing whatever you can for the person you love. Isn't that important? A lot of people think that love is this, um, it's this ethereal, uh, mushy feeling. Well, sometimes it might be that way. You, sometimes we get emotional over those that we love, but most of the time it's just thinking about them and doing what we can in order to be of help. And so uh, what, but my mind goes back to 
James chapter 2 with the believers there that said that there were people in need and they said, uh, there were, well, there were people who need to be clothed, people who are hungry. And these believers would interact with them and say, well, be clothed, go and don't be hungry. But they didn't do anything. So expressions of love are not always outward expressions of affection. Sometimes they're just getting the job done. It's just taking care of details in order to make someone else's life a little better. Their load a little lighter. This is what they were doing. I mean, they could have said, well, let's just uh, have a prayer meeting and be done with it. Well, I'm sure that they were praying, but they also took whatever steps they could in order to uh, demonstrate their love in this way. Verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow workers in the gospel of Christ. So it was decided to send Timothy, even though he was needed in Athens to continue to spread the gospel, he was needed in Thessalonica even more. There's only so many troops, and we're in a raging battle. And so when you take one of the troops off of the front lines, it has to be for a good reason. And so they, they decided that they would just send uh, Timothy. And then we have why he was sent. The first thing was to strengthen them. And we have the Greek word here, sterizo, S-T-E-R-I-Z-O. It's an infinitive, an aorist active infinitive. And it means to make steadfast, strengthen, hold up, or confirm. We get our English word steroids from this Greek word. So every once in a while, it's okay for believers to get spiritual steroids, evidently. Because that's what they went to do, is to give those believers a little shot in the arm of spiritual steroids. Is it steroids or steroids? I don't know. Steroids? Okay. These communicators of Bible doctrine recognize sometimes believers need special attention. So they're not, they were not negligent in providing it. There are a lot of um, different takes on pastors' counseling. And some think that uh, that should be their main duty. Others believe that they shouldn't do it at all. And then there's all these ideas in between. Well, I think this is pretty, pretty telling about giving special attention to believers that need it. It's very easy for them to say, well... Get your notes. Read your notes. Read your Bible. Uh-oh. Well, they didn't have a Bible. <laughs> they didn't have the New Testament anyway. But this is an example of an apostle. This, this being, in my estimation, the highest apostle, Apostle Paul. And he had agreement from his peers to send one of the apostles to give special attention to believers who were in need. And I personally think that's one of the duties of a pastor. I think of it this way. If I have a sheep that is caught in the briars and they are uh, bellowing out because they need help, I'm not going to tell them, well, just uh, read your Bible. Of course, you always have to be on guard not to become a crutch, but I think any pastor worth his salt will be able to tell the difference 
Then he says, and encourage you. He went to strengthen them, give them a shot of steroids, and encourage. And here's our old friend again. Don't you all remember this? You see how many times this is used? Parakaleo. P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O. And it also is an aorist active infinitive. Para means to the side. Kaleo means to call. To call to your side to comfort, encourage, and exhort. Help and aid. I was looking at another article just the other day, and it had the word encourage in it. And I, don't, I wish I could remember the, the, uh, what they were using. I don't know if it was Latin or what it was. I don't think they were using the Greek. But you have in, in, in the Greek the word en means in. And, of course, in, um, I think it, was, it meant the same thing. When, maybe it was Latin. I wish I, I had the article. And it had the, the word for courage, and it looked a lot like, the, like courage in English. It's the first time I ever thought about encourage means to be encouraged, to have courage, you see? So when you are encouraging someone, you are essentially having them have courage or for them to have courage in them to encourage. Put the courage in, you encourage, you see? I thought that was pretty neat. I never thought of it that way, but that's really what you're doing. When people need need encouragement, they need courage, don't they? All believers need comfort and encouragement from time to time, and God is faithful to provide someone to help. We are not islands to ourselves. And that's one reason I think it's important as a church body to have a certain amount of fellowship, a certain amount of interaction between believers for the very fact that they can encourage one another and that they can strengthen one another. It's it's very important for that to happen. Uh, Sometimes in a business, someone will um, have a business and a, a newcomer will come on and he's full of, vim and vigor, and he's very uh, encouraged. And when he interacts with other people, what does that do? It kind of gives them a shot in the arm, doesn't it? Is it not the same in the spiritual realm? It's easy for any of us in the everyday grind of life to just kind of get discouraged, to kind of get lethargic, kind of takes the, it kind of takes the zeal out. And when you have some believer that is, looks like Mighty Mouse, you know. I mean, he is just on fire for the Lord. And he's just so appreciative of, of the day and what the Lord has done for him. And he's anticipating all these great things. He can't wait to tell somebody about what the Lord means to him and this new doctrine that he's learned. Well, when you get around somebody like that, it's kind of, oh, well, <clears throat> you kind of perk up. It's kind of like when you take a an ember out of the fire and you set it over here by itself, what happens? It kind of goes out, doesn't it? So, that's kind of what we see here. When Timothy would go to these believers who did have problems, he was going to strengthen them and comfort them, but he was going to do it with the Word. And he was going to do it by his own attitude. When he walked in and had the confidence and the assurance and that strong faith and the knowledge to impart to them, what do you think happened to their, their uh, 
their psyche? What happens to their um, their spirit? Don't you know it just was lifted? Part of that was giving them knowledge. They needed knowledge, but it was his attitude also. And then he says, as your faith. Let's get the whole context here. He says, and he sent Timothy, our brother, God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. It wasn't just hit or miss, helter skelter. There was a target. There was a purpose and a, 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 a particular thing he had in mind, and it was their faith. It is necessary to comfort and encourage new converts, especially when they are being tested and under attack from false teachers or from unbelievers. Paul did not stay with these believers as long as he wanted, so they had a few gaps in their doctrine. So this is where he was going to encourage them and strengthen them was in their faith. You know, a lot of times in the Bible, and this is one of them, when you say in their faith, you could substitute the word doctrine for faith and it would fit. He was going to strengthen and encourage them in their what? Doctrine. Because their faith is in doctrine. It's in the Lord and it's, that's what doctrine is. So Timothy was sent to stabilize the situation and shore up the weak areas in their faith. That is, teach them doctrine. And this is what Paul... Can you imagine? Paul is thinking... He's hearing that some of the Thessalonian believers might be peeling off. Some of them might be embracing false doctrines. Some of them might even be turned against him because they were told lies. And as we're going to see as we get into uh, verse 3, that they thought the, the, the afflictions and the testing that they were undergoing Maybe it was because they've done something wrong, and they didn't know what it was. Can you see the, the importance of getting someone there to straighten all this out? So in verse 3 it says, so that, no, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. Now this word, be disturbed, is sino, S-A-I-N-O in the Greek. It's an infinitive, and it is the present passive infinitive. Present tense, it was going on in the passive voice. And, the, and the, this is a strange word. You know what it means? It means uh, to wag, to move to and fro as dogs and other animals wag their tails. Hmm. Isn't that a strange word? Wagging the tail? And it's, and it's translated disturbed. Figuratively, figuratively, it means to caress, flatter, or in the New Testament, figuratively to move in mind to disturb. And that, that um, definition came from Spiros Zodiatis, the complete word study dictionary. Disturbed. Now get this. If you see a, a dog wagging its tail, what it's doing? It's going from over here to 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 over here. That's what was going on in their minds because they didn't have enough doctrine to handle the exigencies, the, the lies and the false teaching and all of the, the things that were coming at them. They couldn't handle it. And one day they'd be over here. Well, you know, Paul said this, but I know these guys over here have a point. Yeah, but Paul said this, but uh, yeah, but these guys over here seem like they know what they're talking about. And they're going back and forth, back and forth. You see what I mean? In their mind. And what does this create? 
disturbance, doesn't it? I think that's why they translate it being disturbed. They were disturbed because they were not grounded. They weren't stabilized. It was like their their mind was carried away by every wind of doctrine. Uh, And it's not that they weren't positive. It's just that Paul wasn't able to stick with them long enough to teach them enough doctrine to where they could handle all of the different things that were going to be thrown at them. And so this is one reason that he was going back. Yes. Well, that's a good question. She said, how does that fit with not being tested beyond what you're able? They were, they were being tested, certainly, and they didn't have enough doctrine to, to um, handle it. And it wasn't their fault. I mean, they just didn't have a teacher there. So what happened? God sent them a teacher. They were going to be able to handle it because God took care of the issue. Um, most of the time, it's a different scenario, though. Most of the time that people can't handle the adversity that they're facing isn't because uh, they were not able to get more teaching. This is probably more of a, something that's out of the ordinary. Usually it's just because they're distracted, uh, other things are more important, and then the suffering gets into more the punitive type of suffering. But I see this, you know, I'm glad you raised that question, though, because it's, if you have positive volition, and it doesn't matter whether you're, you're an unbeliever that has reached the point of God consciousness, and you realize that there has to be a super being, there has to be a higher power, God, someone, to create the earth. Now, if a person has positive volition, meaning that he wants to find out who is this person, I want to know this person. What is God going to do to get them that truth? Whatever it takes. It, it might be a 12-year-old boy in the middle of one of those Muslim nations that are spiritually dark. God's going to see to it that that young man gets the gospel. And I see it's the same thing here. If these Thessalonian believers were positive and they wanted more doctrine, and in this case they couldn't get it, they couldn't go on the Internet. They couldn't go to TV. or They couldn't. They just didn't have it. The only way that they could get it was from these few teachers that had the truth. And God said, okay, we'll send Timothy. So he took care of it. Does that answer the question? It's just the faithfulness of God again. Now, <clears throat> if, if it was a different scenario, if it was, uh, it, let's say that Paul had stayed there a couple of years and he had taught them all these things and they just didn't apply them. They were being lazy. Whatever it was, that would be a different story. So these new converts would go back and forth like a dog wagging its tail between the truth of God's Word and lies. They they just had so much doctrine. We don't know how long Paul was there, but we know it was a short time. It was cut off in the middle of or maybe not in the middle, but before he was done, it was cut off. But look at what happened. Because of what he taught, the, the believers were applying what they learned. Uh, even when he went to when, when Paul went to Berea, uh, the Jews heard that he was down there and went went down to uh, run him off from there also. But how did he hear? 
How did, how did Paul learn about it? Because they had been spreading the word out already. They were doing their job. But they were not completely stabilized, so uh, they would go back and forth. The afflictions were the same. Uh, the, the afflictions. It says that they were receiving reflections, uh, afflictions. What were they? It was name-calling, shunning, and outright persecution they were receiving from the religious Jews and from pagan Gentiles. They were getting it from both sides. They were getting it from their own ethnic group, which were the Hellenistic peoples. That would be the Gentiles. And they were also getting it from the religious crowd, which was a different race, the Jews. So they couldn't win. Anywhere they went, there were going to be people who were going to try to make life hard for them. You know, look at that just a minute. When was, when was the last time someone called you a name for your stand for Christ? I bet most of us have to really think. These people experienced it every day. Also, shunning. Shunning is a powerful tool. Everybody wants to be accepted. But I can tell you, probably shunning is, is closer, hits closer to home than the name calling. Because when you stand for truth, there are going to be people who are going to give you a wide berth. That means they're going to avoid you. And they're going to come up with names like, you're a religious prude, or you're a zealot, you're a religious fanatic. And they're not going to keep those terms to themselves. They're going to tell them to other people because they want other people to avoid you also. And then out and out persecution. I'm talking about, well, you saw what happened to Paul. They were after him to kill him. The person that he was supposed to be with, Jason, was, was torn out, drug out of his home and taken before the authorities. You had to pay a bond just to get out. Then he says, for you, you yourselves know. Now, the word know here is oida, O-I-D-A. It's a verb, present, active, indicative. So this means you continue to know this. You know it, but it's an ongoing thing. Indicative mood means it was reality. They knew it. It means to have seen perceived, apprehended, understand, and be aware of. So Paul is reminding them of something they already knew. <laughs> and he wasn't the only Bible teacher who did that. You knew this was coming, didn't you? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Some of you will remember this. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in truth, which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, in His body, to stir you up by way of reminder. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Do I think do I think who took the books?
I'm not sure I understand your question. Um, uh-huh. Mm. Okay, you're, you're, you're saying, do you think Timothy got this idea from Peter? Is that what you're saying? I don't <laughs> okay. Well, I think the apostles were pretty much on the same page on most things. Yeah, and, and they talked to one another. I, I don't know that uh, they were looking at each other, each other's epistles. I'm not saying that didn't happen. It could be. But what I'm pointing out here is that you have Paul and you have Peter both doing the same thing and making a point of it, don't you? You have Paul here saying, for you yourselves know, and he's about to tell him something that they already know. And you have Peter over here uh, saying, and, and this is the, his, his farewell address, and he's saying he's going to tell them things that they already know them and have been established in them. They know it's true and, and it's present with you, but he says, I consider it right. To stir you up by way of reminder. That means that there never has been a Bible communicator that needs to apologize for repeating. Because every time that you hear it repeated, it is imprinted again and then again. It's solidified. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> okay, Lord. I'll move on. <laughs> I won't repeat anymore. <laughs> For those that are don't know, the light just went out. <laughs> but now they're back on. Okay. Um, oh, you know what? We had prayer meeting tonight, and I meant to pray for rain. And I forgot. Let's pray for rain right now. Father, thank you for your many blessings and for giving us the opportunity to be here. But it's awful dry here in our area, and we just pray that you will bless us with rain again and that we will give you all the glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, now, we have that we may have, that we may, there's no may there, that we have been destined for this. Another unusual word here, we've got kemai, K-E-I-M-A-I. And it's the verb is present active indicative. What? Oh, the PowerPoint went off. Okay. Should I push the button for on? Just the light in on there. Let's see what happens. What has the timer? Oh, okay. There it goes. All right. Um, well, look in your Bibles. You know, we still have Bibles. <laughs> Last resort, look in the book. I'm dealing with the phrase that we have been destined for this. And I'm telling you, the Greek word there is kemai, K-E-I-M-A-I. There it is. And it means to be laid or appointed, to be set or placed somewhere by God's intention. Paul was telling them 
It is not uncommon for believers to experience pain and suffering. Trials are not accidents. They're appointments. And then I've got a few scriptures here that I think will underscore this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't it applicable to us? I mean, we go on our daily routine and we have our, our day set out, don't we? And all of a sudden, something or someone rocks our boat and we think, this is strange, this is odd. Why is this happening to me? And believers ought to just take that in stride and say, okay, God, you're trying to get my attention. I obviously am going to experience some suffering here. And then what should be the attitude? To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Now, we're not talking about punitive suffering here. We're talking about undeserved suffering. Things that just come out of the blue. And you've got a choice. And don't take the first one, which is natural, which is to what? Hmm? Pity party? Yeah, that's good. What else? Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm looking for. Complain. Isn't that natural? Have you ever something happens and you just <clears throat> you got it all in your mind. You're ready to vent. And then you think, oh, yeah. It's not fair. Well, so what? Everybody knows this isn't a fair world. That was world. Why do we expect anything to be fair? And we should remember to the degree that you share Christ's sufferings, undeserved suffering, keep on rejoicing, that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. So if you face adversity when you're under testing and it, you're in pain and it hurts, what does this say to do? If you have the right mental attitude, if you're not complaining, if you're not blaming, you should be rejoicing because you recognize that as you apply that doctrine and you are stabilized and you are comforted and you are encouraged by God's Word and those that He sent to accomplish that mission, you should rejoice because at His revelation, that would be when Jesus Christ returns, you can rejoice. I don't want to know what your attitude is, but I'm going to ask the question. This is just for you personally. Are you really looking forward for Christ to return? Because you know what's next. The judgment seat of Christ. And if you have been growing in grace and knowledge and you've been applying what you've learned and your spiritual momentum is moving forward, then you have nothing to be afraid of and everything to look forward to. It gets all the better then, don't you know? Here's another one, Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. When you read that, look at it. For to you it has been granted, granted, 
For Christ's sake, not only to believe, but also to suffer. Now, some people might think, be thinking in their mind, yeah, thanks a lot. Huh? That's thinking, thinking, that's human viewpoint. For the believer that has connected the dots, they know that when they do the right thing, they're applying doctrine, and they suffer, they should rejoice. Because it's not for naught. God notices. And you're going to be advanced spiritually, and you're going to be rewarded. These new believers were experiencing trials and testing and were wondering if God was displeased with them because they had done something wrong. Paul sent Timothy to explain that adversity often comes because a believer is doing something right, not wrong. They evidently didn't have that class yet. God brings storms of life not to destroy us, but to strengthen us. Adversity brings us closer to God. And He strengthens our faith and advances our spiritual growth. Later, Paul wrote to Timothy to remind him of that very point. Now, he's sending Timothy to, to teach this to them or remind them of this. Look what he says to Timothy later on. This is in... 2 Timothy 3.12 And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, he's reminding Timothy. I have a... a I'm not going to do it tonight, but I, I, it was uncanny. I'm always amazed at God's timing. I just finished this part, and I was going to take a break about this suffering thing. I go get the New American magazine, which I recommend to everyone. And guess what the title of this one is? The Value of Suffering. What I I say? I'm sorry. The Brain Call. Um, The Value of Suffering. And I just finished this. I'm thinking, what a coincidence. Not hardly. And I started reading this, and it just fits perfectly with what Timothy is going to tell these Thessalonian believers. It's as if these are the notes that Timothy was following in order to encourage those believers. Because it's important for you to be able to tell when you suffer, why are you suffering? I think I have that. Let's see if this is the next part. Yeah, here it is right here. I think I'll end on this. I'm not going to give you what this is in the brain call. I'll wait for next time because I don't have time tonight. But this, maybe you can relate to, relate to this. So how can a believer know if he's suffering for discipline or blessing? If you are in doubt, what is the first thing that you should do? Don't say it. Just think it. Uh, I, I didn't get it off there fast enough. Were you reading ahead? Huh? <laughs> Some of you might be those kind of readers that see the whole page and knows what's there. I'm not. So I'm asking you, and you don't shout it out, but just think. If you have suffering in your life, it just, boom, it's there. And you think, uh-oh, what did I do now? Or, how can you tell? What's the first thing you ought to do? 
do a little self-analysis and see if rebound is appropriate at that time. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Because if it is punitive, what is the suffer? What is God going to do when you acknowledge that sin? He's going to turn it to blessing. He might just cut off all the suffering altogether. He might minimize it. Then again, he might turn up the heat. But it's bearable because now you have the right frame of mind. You're trusting the Lord, and then it's bearable. Okay, I'll go up here. <laughs> so, if you're in doubt, the first thing to do, that's right, make sure you have no sins that are unconfessed. Then ask yourself a few questions. These are some good questions to ask if you're in this situation. You don't know. You know the suffering is there. Why is it there? How about, um, is my spiritual momentum moving forward or has it disappeared? You can tell that. Anytime you can, you can think of your, your own spiritual life. How much did I think about God today? How much time did I spend applying doctrine, meditating, appreciating God, any of these things? Here's another question for you. Have I been consistently taking in doctrine? Hmm. Well, if you haven't, then you probably wouldn't even have to ask, ask the next question. What is my prayer life like? When's the last time you talked to God? Have I, been, have I been keeping current with rebound? Is there something that has been bothering me that I haven't turned over to the Lord? Have I been faith resting? Don't you think some of those questions will give you your answer as to whether it's for divine discipline, whether it's punitive or whether it is for blessing? Anybody can do that. I dare say before this week is out, we don't have many more days left in this week. There may be one or many of us that are in this very situation and we need to determine, is God blessing me or is He trying to name? There's some great things that I'm going to teach with regards to doing this. We need time for the salvation that you've given us through Jesus Christ and we don't recognize you will help us meditate upon these things and apply them in our life. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.